You're listening to the Pop Tart Podcast. Girls down. You already know. There really is a special bond between women and gay men. I never identified as weird. There is no equality without the loss of power. We won't get to live long enough for black people to be free as long as they were slaves. You and your Antifa friends always ganging up on people. Imagine you're fucking your girlfriend and then you say, Hello! Hello! And welcome to Pop-Tarts. I'm Emily Rems. I'm Callie Watts. We're both editors of Bust Magazine in New York City. We love talking to each other about pop culture. We love talking to you about pop culture. And today we have the most special of guests. Our guest today is a true icon in the world of drag performance. Bob the Drag Queen first rose to prominence as the winner of RuPaul's Drag Race Season 8. And since that time, he's been using his huge platform to not only become a major name in stand-up comedy, but also to become a powerful voice for LGBTQ rights and the Black Lives Matter movement. His HBO series, We're Here, features Bob alongside fellow Drag Race alums Shangela and Eureka traveling to small towns across America to help create support systems and communities for isolated queer folk by putting on drag shows. And during Pride Month, Bob organized a massive online event called the Black Queer Town Hall and made headlines by encouraging other members of the drag community to stand up as allies for the protest movement that emerged in the wake of George Floyd's death. Bob's HBO show and new comedy special have been so uplifting to me during quarantine. I'm so excited to talk with him. Welcome, Bob the Drag Queen. Yay! I'm here. You're here. We're doing it. Um, I've noticed that you have really been doing the most during quarantine of almost anyone that I've seen, both online and in the streets, to advocate for a more just and humane world for everyone. Can you talk to us a little bit about how the last few months have been for you and what your plans are for moving forward as an activist? Well, it's been a roller coaster of emotions. I mean, it's been a lot of things. It's been, uh, there are moments where I was like laughing and crying and and mourning and um, inspired and I felt defeated. Um, but also bear in mind, people are like, how has this quarantine been for you? As if it was like two weeks. I mean, it's a, it's been a third of the year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like oh, mm-hmm. about 115 days I stayed in my apartment. So, I mean, obviously I ran the gamut of emotions during that time. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, I mean, I, could, I don't know that I could possibly wrap up my quarantine, but also how it's been for me has just been like a, a myriad of expressions and feelings. And um, I think that... Right now, I'm, I've definitely been uh, shifting my focus. My focus has shifted several times. And right now, I'm definitely focusing on a lot of Black queer joy and excellence and celebration. Well, I think when it comes to Black queer excellence and joy, you are a paragon of that. And so I'm oh, glad to hear you. that you're diving into it even more. I wanted to talk about the first time that I consciously remembered seeing gender fuckery in the world i was seven years old and i saw boy george performing do you really want to hurt me on tv Mm -hmm. i was totally riveted i was fascinated i was delighted i became a lifelong fan of all different kinds of drag i was wondering what your first exposure was and what your journey has been 
from that point to becoming the drag superstar you are today? I feel like the, so my mom used to own a drag bar oh, in Columbus, awesome. Georgia, a, a gay bar focusing on drag shows in Columbus, Georgia. So I kind of grew up around a lot of that as a child. And there was also, um, I mean, I remember also seeing Tuong Fu and oh, I love that movie. Like, thinking this is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. I remember RuPaul coming from the ceiling in a big Confederate flag dress and not quite knowing who RuPaul was, but remembering in the, in the film there, I was like, this person seems really important in more than just this film, but like in like a social context because they gave her this massive entrance. Um, and, and I just remember seeing uh, Wesley Snipes uh, beating his face with a powder puff and slow motion. <laughs> While wearing gold lame lashes and then leaning back on a like a heart shaped bed, uh, putting on stockings and then kicking his feet, um, like all of these things are like cemented in my brain. So you you grew up around drag and you watched Tu Wong Fu. How did you become the winner of RuPaul's Drag Race? Honestly, in, in all honesty, I saw it on TV and thought to myself, I could do that. That is that's the really <laughs> short answer. I saw it on TV and thought to myself, I could do that. That looks like fun, and I bet I'd be good at it. And that is. And the- how many? How long did it take between when you decided that you could do it and when you actually won? Like how many years? It, it was season one to season eight, like the end of season one to me winning season eight. Yeah, so seven years. Wow, that's not very long. Like you're a savant. Yes. I mean, it's it's. I mean, it's not Billie Eilish. I mean. She- <laughs> <laughs> she she walked out with like six Grammys at sixteen, um, but I mean it's I mean it's, it's shorter than it probably took for Aquaria to do it, or probably for uh, for uh, James and also a formerly known as Harris Sanchez to do it. Um, but that was definitely the length of my journey. I'm glad that you brought up RuPaul. Also, I'm a, a huge fan of RuPaul. I interviewed him when Drag Race first started for Bust, and mm-hmm. I appreciate so much. Um, what Rue has done to open minds and hearts around the world. I'm noticing that Rue is drawing a lot of criticism. First, mm-hmm. it was for not being sensitive to the trans community, as sensitive mm-hmm. as many thought that he should be. And then more recently, for not being a more vocal supporter of the Black Lives Matter movement. And then I saw him erase all of his social media. You're someone who's going to always be associated with RuPaul no matter what. So I'm wondering if those criticisms are something that you feel that you personally need to address or defend as an ambassador of the RuPaul brand. Well, I don't necessarily feel like I mean, I'm I'm not an official ambassador for the I mean, I was for one year the official ambassador for RuPaul's Drag Race. And now I'm just some guy that was on RuPaul's Drag Race years ago. Um, Although I am seen often as someone from RuPaul's Drag Race. And in terms of RuPaul's, uh, uh, the, the, the RuPaul's Drag Race's exclusionary uh, policies regarding trans people, I certainly wish that there were um, a much more open door policy in regards to who's allowed to compete RuPaul's Drag Race. And in terms of RuPaul's uh, addressing of Black Lives Matter, I don't necessarily think, not necessarily, I'm, I'm gonna take out the word not necessarily, I don't think that it is uh, people's right to tell Black people how to engage with Black Lives Matter. Like, I think that it is, especially for like white folks who are like, you know what you need to be saying? It's like, okay, what you, what you need to not do is tell black people how to engage in Black Lives Matter. Um, and I don't I, mean, I don't know why RuPaul deleted his uh, Instagram and Twitter. I have no clue. And I hope that everything's fine over there. 
Can you tell me more about your work specifically encouraging your peers in drag to speak up about the Black Lives Matter movement? I thought that was really cool that you did it. Well, in, in, in my uh, group, it's actually like talking about Black Lives Matter, my group is actually really chill because like, it's not, to be honest, I'm in a group of like really queer people, uh, liberal minded people. Most folks in my group will not be giving any pushback in regards to Black Lives Matter. Um, I am certainly asking people that I know to engage in saying Black Trans Lives Matter um, because I feel like that is maybe something that could be pushed more in the gay space. Um, you know, trans misogyny in the gay space is probably much more common and um, and like obscene than people realize it is. Mm-hmm. As, as a fan of drag performance, I'm so sort of mystified and thrilled by the artistry on display, both in, on Drag Race and on We're Here. But as a viewer, I, I also feel like I prefer We're Here because so often for me, Drag Race is about the contestants being kind of like bitchy and shady to each other and reading each other to filth is like sort of like encouraged much more than on we're here which is a more collaborative project it's not a competition it's about building people up instead of tearing them down i wonder what your thoughts are on the two different styles of drag storytelling since you've been you know a a part of both of them well i personally love competition i love competing i love watching people compete i really like competition it speaks to me a lot um that being said um, i can see if someone who prefers more of a uh, you know uh kumbaya it's so drag, kumbaya yeah more of a kumbaya sort of drag i'm like that's valid too i see like a lot of people uh kind of want that stuff i never felt torn down on well that's not true there were probably moments where i felt torn down on RuPaul's Drag race um but also a lot of that was probably me in my own head tearing myself down um, when I was there too, it's just really, it's really intense. Being on Drag Race is, you are like, you feel paranoid. It's just, you're competing. You want something so bad. Um, it's like being in a pageant. Like there are moments where you're like, I can't, like, this is just, this too much. Like I said, like, like this too much. Um, <laughs> and there is something also about the beauty of um, we're here because it is a very supportive environment. Um and it is about like uplifting others, and it doesn't engage in some of the more um, uh, some of the more catty sides of drag. Which, by the way, I, I want to point out too, is not a product of RuPaul's Drag Race. Like you know, <laughs> you, you know, drag queens don't need a camera or a TV show to be catty and compete with each other. I, I, I don't want to create the idea that RuPaul's Drag Race is the first time drag queens ever felt like comp- competing with each other, because that's just that would just be a falsehood altogether. <laughs> um, but we're here definitely engaged in a lot, in a lot less of that. I was so happy to hear that We Are Here has been renewed by HBO for another season Woo! because I think even beyond the gay community, I think it speaks to everyone who's ever had the experience of feeling like a total weirdo in small town America. Mm-hmm. Callie and I both left Virginia so we could live the lives that we dreamed of in New York. And I know that you did the same coming from Georgia and you came here to New York. Um, You said that moving here and doing drag saved your life. Can you talk more about how drag saved your life and what your personal reasons are to now be returning to small towns? Well, I do want to talk about that, but first I want to go back to something you just said, which is I was talking talking about this uh, recently. And, you know, I, 
I never identified as weird, which I'm realizing now is weird. Like I, <laughs> I always thought I was really normal. I have always thought that my surroundings were weird. I mm. thought that everything else was strange and I was the thing that made sense and everything else was really I love that. upside down. And there are moments when like, when I wasn't like famous or when I wasn't, um, you know, making, I was like, this is weird. Like I shouldn't be performing in this living room at someone's um, baby shower. Like I should be on like some big stage somewhere, but this is where we are right now. I gotta, I gotta meet myself where I'm at and do this thing because this is what pays the bills right now. So I, but I do see that a lot of people who identify, I know lots of people who identify as weird, um, but I've, I've always just felt really standard and normal. Um, with, with, in, in a weird world. I think that's something that we can all carry with us for sure. Um, that being said, you not being weird, but still you felt that you could live the life that you wanted to live in New York. And you did say that drag saved your life. Can you talk about why that's true and why you're now returning to small towns? So something that Amelia Blake said on, on We're Here that really stuck out to me, and I still think about it all the time, when she said, everything about me has been used against me. So imagine you are fat, you are queer, you are strange or weird, you're mean and you're bitchy. And in the real world, in the, in the normal world, everyone has told you that all those things are negatives. And then you come into the drag community. And every single thing that's been used against you is now being used to promote you. It's being mm-hmm. made to boost you up. No one calls you some fat bitch. They call you go big girl, go. You better work, big girl. People don't say you you look like a wrestling bitch face. They say, oh yes, Miss Thing, she's serving face. This girl is serves face. You know, when you come up with a quick like everything, your queerness is celebrated. It's, it's not it's, you're not a fag, you're a queen. You're not a you know, you're not everything that was once used. So that's my, my experience. All the things that were used against me when I came into the dragosphere, they were all used to promote me, to uplift me, and to tell me that I was not just like fine, but exceptional. In your first comedy special, Suspiciously Large Woman, your dad was in the audience and you said it was the first time that you saw him. Was it in 10 years? Something like that? Probably. Yeah, that sounds about right. And he had never seen you perform before. And then your mom was there too. And you then you mentioned on We're Here that you were young when she came out, but then you were in high school when she became more religious and sort of renounced her gayness, which must have been mm-hmm. really hard. I'm so curious about what your relationship is like with both of them now that I've become so invested in your journey with them as a viewer. I talk to my mom all the time. Like my mom's one of my best friends and she's one of the funniest people I know. And she, we are just, we're great friends. And I always talk to my mom. I love her and we are just, we are close. We are very, very close. And I don't talk to my dad very often. I talk to my dad uh, maybe once or twice a year. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, I've um, Christmas. All right. Well, that's better than once every 10 years, I would say for yeah. sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, something Callie and I both noticed on We're Here is how good you were at sort of patching up some frayed parent-child relationships. And Callie was actually recently navigating some stuff, some tough parent stuff. Yeah. And she was thinking that she wanted to run her ish by you since you seem like so good at. Oh uh, wow! I am not a professional. I'm just it. someone who's had a lot of parent stuff. So maybe. <laughs> So what we'll, we'll just, I want to be clear, I'm not going to be like 
we're just going to be relating to each other in this moment. Yeah, that's right. That's fine. Yeah, so basically, my parents are, I wouldn't say being racist, but tolerating and supporting a lot of racist behavior. And it's causing a lot of fights between me and them. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's really hard to, like, I put up an old friend, old friend now after this, I put up some racist comments on my page. And so I put her on blast as a known racist. And then my parents called me and they were like, "That you can't do that to people. And I was like, that's exactly what you do to people. And, mm-hmm. and they got mad at me and wouldn't listen to my side. They were just like, you and your uh, Antifa friends always ganging up on people. Not Antifa. <laughs> Shit like that. So it's- well, I've, I've noticed this too. Like when it comes to people you love, you give them a lot of leeway. Um, and you're, I, it sounds like your parents are trying to give this friend leeway. But you even in this moment gave your parents leeway. Yeah. If anyone else did what your parents did, you wouldn't say, well, kind of racist. You'd be <laughs> like, that's racist. Exactly. But because of your parents and you don't want people to think your parents are racist or you don't want to believe your parents are racist yourself, you would say, well... In some circles, some people might consider what my parents did racist. Um, but, you know, take what they did and put it on a stranger and you'd be like, that's racist. Oh, totally. And whenever I have situations with my family, um, like, for example, recently, um, by the way, my mom is a lot like me. Um, so we, I was, my mom, I had a, I have a friend from high school who was recently on, online and he said, um, gay guys need separate changing rooms at the gym. Mm-hmm. And it's about how he doesn't want to change near gay guys. He doesn't want to, he doesn't want to take up his clothes around gay guys. So my mom, um, who's, who's very aggressive and uh, confrontational, went to his page and just started like, like going in being like, how dare you say this? My my son is gay. Very very very. My son is gay. Mm-hmm. Um, how dare you? Type behavior, um, and that is something that I can applaud in my mom. And then there are moments where me and my mom will be talking, and she'll say something that is just transphobic, and she doesn't realize it, and, or, or if she doesn't realize it, or if she does realize it, then she then I just remind her anyway again, and then she can get to the point. She's like, oh wow, okay, yeah, that. What I just said is what I said is problematic. And of course, it's going to be kickback because it feels like for some reason, I feel like people in the old guard, it feels like they're losing something when people point out things like saying that simple phrase is in and of itself transphobic. And folks are kind of like, well, why you ever see people like we can't say anything anymore. Those people. Mm-hmm. We can't yeah. say anything anymore. I also and feel then, a lot of it is Fox News brainwash. And like my dad, we were talking about um, Black Lives Matter movement. And he was like, you know, just as upset about about all of the things that are starting every riot. Like he gets it, but then he doesn't understand why people are taking the action that they take. He's just like, yeah, that's fucked up that they did that. But doesn't understand why people were breaking things and why people were so angry and i don't think he ever will because he watches fox news yeah i mean there's a chance that uh the image of black people has been painted to your father as like a bunch of unruly people who aren't happy with what they have 
as opposed to people who have built the very foundation of this country and have never been given their dues and more than likely will not be given their dues in this lifetime, in our lifetime, the next generation's lifetime, or the next generation's lifetime. I want to bear in mind with people like, keep in mind that in, in Emily and Callie, us, we, we will never, we won't get to live long enough for Black people to be free as long as they were slaves in this country. We Black folks have been free for about 156 years. That's two old people back to back. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. When the, when the Queen of England was born, there were people alive who were slaves. That is how recently slavery was. And then after that, the Jim Crow law like situation made it practically unlivable, exactly. even though people were technically free. So when, when people say systemic racism, they mean like, I someone mentioned this the other day, like this country just was not made for black people to thrive in it. Um, and it's gonna take more than just like filling black people into the spaces because like, imagine if there's a pair of jeans, skinny jeans made for a skinny white lady. And then you try to put a big black ass in it, it's not gonna fit in there. The whole <laughs> pair of jeans needs to be restructured, open up the seams, put out the leg, add yeah. some stuff. Like the whole thing needs to be redone and restructured in order for other people to be able to fit in this mold as well. Right. What that you're saying great. totally reminds me of why I get so frustrated when people keep saying things like the system is broken when the system was created yeah. to subjugate people of color. No, the system is working and it's and working it's really working well. The way it was supposed to, yeah. Exactly. It was designed as it was designed to do. And so the system has to go. It doesn't need to be fixed. It has to go because it's not broken. It's working the way it was designed. But to work. Emily, listen to what you're saying. That scares people. I'm just right now. I believe that this is what I'm going to say is scary. This is going to be scary. This is what some, some people like old guard would be really upset to hear. There is no equality without the loss of power. Full stop. And yep. there is no, there is no, we all get to have the power. No, you have to give up some of your power in order for these people to get some of it because power is finite. It is not, there, this is not one of those like, power is not like happiness where there's just happiness abundant. Power is jobs. <laughs> And there's a limited number of jobs. Power is money. There's a limited amount of money. Power is food. There's a limited amount of food. Power is housing. There's a set number of houses. And, and power is generational. Yes. And all that stuff has to be divided amongst everyone. So, for example, the idea of Jeff Bezos having $15 billion. Here's the thing. There is a set amount that all of the money in the world is worth. It's like, it's like there is more and more money, but the more money you add the less all the money is worth. You right. see what I'm saying? So you can't just mm -hmm. give this homeless person $15 billion and assume that that's going to be the same. That, no, because then all of Jeff Bezos' money goes down and this person's money goes up. And also no one's going to give this homeless person $15 billion. What happens is if you think if you think Jeff Bezos gets to keep all of his money, you just give more money to the poor people. What you're doing is giving these poor people money that is of less value. Depreciated. Nothing's yeah. coming because nothing's coming from Jeff Bezos. And that money won't be depleted for him because he has so much of it. But what these people are getting is worthlessness. And this guy has yeah. a bunch of stuff that seems worthless but because there's so much of it, it is a lot. So in order for people to succeed, there has to be a loss of power. And that is uncomfortable to hear. That is not nice to hear, but it's just gonna have to happen. That's reality. The revolution is on. <laughs> it is afoot. Yeah. I would like 
to speak briefly about your latest comedy special, Bob the Drag Queen, live at Caroline's. I loved it so much. Callie and I both, LOL, laughed oh my out gosh, loud. It was so good. It, to, to anyone out there looking at my, <laughs> my specials, uh, I'm, I am self-aware enough to acknowledge and say out loud that my second special is way funnier than my first special. It is, it is way funnier. Listen to the second one. I, I kept running. I liked both of them. I was running okay. into the room constantly be like, come on. my husband was doing something. I was like, you got to come in here and listen to this bitch. Come on. Because I just look, you know, I'm just laughing out loud to myself. Well, thank you. It was so The good. bit about having to pee while being on stage is so true to my real life that I keep reliving it over and over again in my mind <laughs> and feeling a little less alone and laughing all over again. Um, yeah, I, I have a, anyone who knows me knows that I have a teeny tiny butt and I pee a lot more than all <sighs> The struggle is real. Right. I know that you were joking about it in the special, but personally, um, I liked that you talked about the fact that there really is a special bond between women and gay men. Like you were, yeah, you sure. were making jokes about it, but personally, there's a select group of gay men who were really, I consider them my pop cultural parents. In my teens and 20s, they are responsible for the impeccable taste that I have today. Um, there is a real special bond and it's, it has way more to do than like having like a fake boyfriend to go clubbing with. It's much deeper and more substantive than that. Can you elaborate on this affinity outside of the stereotypes that we so often see about it on TV? Well, it's a, there, okay. There is this deep rooted alliance between gay guys and straight women. I, I honestly don't know what it is, but I, I don't think, and by the way, this is, Gay guys and straight women are not a monolith, so clearly there are lots of there. There will be gay guys who do not have that bond, and there will be straight women who also have not ever experienced that bond. But that does not negate the fact that there are lots of people who have that experience. And I think there may be something in the idea that, like the the idea of the man, uh, can be scary. Someone pointed, I can't remember who it was. Something you pointed out, like to go on a date with someone who is like bigger than you and like physically stronger than you and like could hurt you is brave and that is it, it just is what it is that is a that is a brave thing to do um and there's something about gay guys that disarms the idea of the the scariness that men can have because they aren't it's a less scary version of this thing that you see everywhere for some people i need to reiterate that for some people um, and I feel like straight women are a less scary version of straight people to gay men because mm. there is a, a, um, not for everyone again, no one, no culture is a monolith, but there is a, uh, for me, a discomfort that I can get around cisgendered straight people that just feels like othered in this space. And there's and the, straight women who love gay men are a safe version of this scary thing. I see. I had I definitely thought of your first example from the women's perspective, but I had not heard about. I had not thought of it the other way before. I appreciate that's really your perspective on it. I would like to know, Bob the drag queen, are you a feminist? I am a feminist for sure. Absolutely. I love when it's an awesome. easy answer. <laughs> People are like, well. yeah. do, do, How do, has, do, you, do people do that a lot? Do, do people go, well, I mean, 
People like us to define feminism for them before they will answer. Well, I feel like everyone knows what a feminist is. It's a person who believes in equality of genders. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. I would like to know. Well, I'm 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 an interesting feminist too because I believe in the equality of genders and I also acknowledge the, uh, the, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? The fact that it is a social construct mm-hmm. um, that is fully made up, but is but even though it is made up, it is also still fully acknowledged. Yeah, right. Yes. Uh, Debbie Stoller talks about this a lot, the social construct of gender in general. Yeah, that's our boss, yeah. Debbie. She started our and, magazine. Well, it's kind of wild. And, and people who don't get the idea that, that here's the best way I can describe gender being a social construct. Because the idea of man or woman is a thing you place on people, but you can also place it on stuff. And that lets you know when it is a social construct. You look at the Statue of Liberty and everyone says it's a woman, but it's not a woman. It is a big chunk of metal. That's literally all <laughs> But you give it all of the context of a woman. You give her all, Lady Liberty, she, her, you give this whole chunk of metal, all of the characteristics of womanhood because it is going inside of the social construct of that. Yeah. Right. I would like to know how has drag impacted your feminism, if at all? Like, you seem to have a very solid grasp on on feminism and what it means. Has being a drag performer impacted that idea at all for you? I think, the, I think yeah, in terms of the fact that the queer community has definitely impacted my feminism in regards to acknowledging that... Um, I don't know. Being in the queer community has opened my eyes up to a lot of things. I mean, I'm from the South. I'm from Georgia. And I had a lot of fucked up ideas that have been baked into my head without my permission for years and years and years. Um, But I, I, yeah. So the short answer is being in drag, which was my gateway into the queer community at large, has absolutely impacted my feminism. Tell me. What are your hopes and your dreams and your plans for the rest of this year when none of us feel safe or comfortable having hopes, dreams, or plans? <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> well, you know, I'm I'm really hoping that everyone can... The word I've been thinking about a lot lately is consideration. Mm. Um, and, and also accountability. That is something I've really been leaning into. One, consideration. Two, accountability. Like, consider others. Like, which is something we really don't do. I was thinking about something the other day. Is there a chance? Is there a chance that we actually all want the same thing? Is that possible? Is it possible that the people who are the Proud Boys, from I mean, from Proud Boys to Antifa, is it possible <laughs> that everyone on this spectrum actually wants the same base level thing but because of egos and fear and anger and power shifts and money and all these things it's just so muddy that it doesn't look the same is that possible and i think it's possible that we all want a a soft place to relax we all want a delicious sandwich we all want someone (laughs) to cuddle with in some way but then things get muddy. Yeah. But then think. But then things get muddy because of skewed views or things, you know, extreme extremism and propaganda that goes out to tell people that, like the the idea of here's the idea of arguing Black Lives Matter to me sounds insane. It sounds genuinely 
Exactly. Insane. The idea of arguing Black trans lives matter is insane to me. Um, uh, some humorist, I cannot take credit for this, uh, put this in words that I think that a lot of people can understand. And it was so brilliant. I, I want to be very clear. This is not my joke. It is not mine. But it's so brilliant that it find, someone finally put it in a way that I think blockheads can even see. Imagine you're fucking your girlfriend and then you say, well, wait, can I say this? Is, am I allowed to talk like this on this podcast? Oh, yeah. yeah. I already know that the, the joke, it is yeah, good. It's so, it's so brilliant. It says, imagine you fuck your girlfriend and you go, you like that dick? And then she looks you in the eyes and goes, babe, I like all dicks. <laughs> all dicks are great. <laughs> um, that is such a perfect um, bundling of this idea that is like, now it's easy to access for everyone. It's like the one that says, like, someone broke their leg. And you go, oh, my God, his leg is broken. Please go get help. And the person goes, what about my legs? <laughs> I and we're like, like, okay, yeah, but his legs are broken. They're, like, broken right now. And he's like, oh, so my legs don't matter? No, you're, okay, no one's saying your legs don't matter. But this guy's legs are, in this moment, fully broken. <laughs> <laughs> I also um, like the one that's about uh, saves the whales didn't mean kill all the fish. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, uh, it's, it's it's exhausting. Yeah, and yet it's necessary. But it, but it, but it permeates a lot of places. Like even Terry Crews is Terry yeah. Crews had a really uncomfortable conversation with Don Lemon recently. I saw um, that. Yeah. I didn't read about it yet, but I it came by. Girl. <laughs> What went down? It was just uh, Terry Crews was afraid of black supremacy, which is so far fetched. <laughs> it is so so. The idea of black people becoming oppressors in America is so uh, Afrofuturism. This is like five thousand years in the future, and yeah. the amount of work that it would take to make black people the oppressors. Um, that's not I overnight. Be yeah, that, that's not that's not overnight. That's not over a century. And Don Lemon was saying something that people jumped down his throat too for when he was trying to challenge Terry Crews. People were saying that he was making assumption, other assumptions about blackness that were wild. Well, Terry Crews was like, well, what about black on black violence? And then Don Lemon was like, well, you know, 80% of white people are killed by white people. Um, <laughs> yeah. So like that's just that's you know, people who live in the communities are killed by people in their communities. That's just how it works. Um, Florida arguing is it what you're arguing is a completely different thing, and it's not right. the same thing. Um, what is the? It's, it's like black. It's like people who are trying to make um, Black Lives Matter about abortion. There's <laughs> there's a whole group of people doing that. Right, and that is that is a separate issue. Yeah. Uh. What is the first thing that you want to do once the pandemic is declared over and people are allowed to gather once more? But I want to do a show. I just want to get back to doing my shows, my work, my art. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? I really that miss uh, performing in front of crowds of people. I miss crowds. <laughs> yeah. Well, I miss crowds too. I, I, I will be honest. I prefer a crowd when I'm on stage and everyone's looking at me. <laughs> yeah. so Same. It's so self-centered, but my crowd is like everyone out there 
in the darkness and me in good lighting with a microphone. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And the the final question that we ask everyone who is on our show. Can I try to answer the question before you ask it and see? Oh my God. Yes. Sure. Answer the question that we ask everyone. Is it a yes or no question or is it like a, like a full thing? It's a full thing. Got it. Okay. Um, Honestly, I feel like if you can remember who you are on the inside (laughs) and try to remember to be kind to others and be kind to yourself, I think you'll have all you need. That would be such an interesting answer. I feel like I should put, I should write that down for posterity. The the actual question is, what you watching? (laughs) And when I say what you watching, it's a broad question. We want to know about movies and television and books and music and music videos and podcasts and anything that you are consuming pop culturally. We want to know about it because it is probably very, very cool. Bob the Drag Queen, what you watch? It was like a so long title to a TV who, If you can remember who you are, no, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> I am watching, uh, I'm watching Drag Race All-Stars 5. I am watching Legendary on HBO Max. I love Legendary. I'm so happy that Laomi is back on my TV screens. She is a goddess, legendary. Oh, I watched the first couple episodes. So good. Oh, I love this show. Legendary is so, 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 so good. Um, I am watching this documentary. I mean, are you want me to go like all, 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 all the things I'm watching? I'm currently yes, watching a documentary called, called The Family on Netflix. It's about this um, Christian, like, secret society that is like trying to control the world through Congress. Um, and politicians. Um, it's like, it's, it's a bit of a conspiracy theory type thing. So you have to suspend your disbelief and then really take it with a grain of salt, but also consider it when you're watching. <laughs> I um, love those kinds of things. I love a conspiracy theory. I listened to Up First, uh, NPR, <laughs> uh, in the mornings. Um, I am also uh, going back and delving into uh, This American Life, which is really, really so fantastic. Um, what else am I? And I'm, and I'm playing a lot of Fortnite <laughs> on my Nintendo Switch. Like a lot of Fortnite. I mean, as, just, from what I know, nobody they, plays a little Fortnite. <laughs> yeah, it's really not. Yeah, they redid the whole map. It is now completely underwater. It is wild. Aquaman's a character. Captain America's a character in there now. Um, and I'm going to start rereading. I'm, me and my, uh, anyone who goes to my Patreon, Sibling Rivalry Patreon, we have a book club there. And I'm going to be rereading um, uh, the book, um, The Good Lord Bird, which is a like a satirical uh, take on John Brown, the abolitionist. And he kidnapped a slave and, um, who he thought was a girl so he had to live his life as a girl for about seven years but was afraid to come out as a boy because Whoa. he was afraid that john brown would kill him Whoa. that's intense and wow. they're turning it into a tv show soon which i'm really wow. excited to watch. that sounds intense as fuck that sounds so good thank you so much for being on our show you are a national treasure i, I cherish so you this was 
a joy, a joy. And I'm, and I'm joy. doing the thing with everyone who interviews me. Can I get you to say uh, Black Trans Lives Matter? Sure. Yeah, of course. I'll, who should go? Callie, you can go first. Black Trans Lives Matter. And that goes double for me. Black Trans Lives Do Matter. Yes. podcast fans did you know that the best place to listen to your favorite shows ad free is stitcher premium they've got conan o'brien needs a friend my favorite murder wolverine the lost trail bitch sesh the fantasy footballers science rules with bill nye and more all without commercial interruptions and we can hook you up with a sweet deal to get one month free go to stitcher.com premium and use promo code pop tarts that's stitcher.com slash premium promo code pop tarts. Before we get back to the show, I want to tell you about our new sponsor, Wolfie Vibes Publicity. If you're working on a new project and find yourself in need of a kick-ass publicist who communicates well and works tirelessly to get you the coverage you're after, consider going to Wolfie Vibes Publicity. Wolfie Vibes Publicity is a female-owned and operated boutique PR firm that will get you where you need to be, and you'll even have fun in the process. Get in touch via wolfievibespublicity.com for details and quotes, and tell them that Pop-Tart sent you. Essentially, I started it because every female comedian I know was amazing and hardworking and hilarious, and I knew would make great podcasts, and every male comedian I know already had a podcast and was doing their own thing. <laughs> Hi, I'm Kate Moldenhauer, the founder of More Banana Podcasts, a comedy podcast network entirely produced, hosted, and led by women. We have shows about politics. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Let's Get Civical. When the Supreme Court puts stuff on their calendar, they use the word docket. So their Google Calendar is a docket. Is a docket. So technically, I have a docket. You have a docket. We all have docket. We all have a docket. Sex? Welcome to my vagina. I'm Jesse Karen. This is Rebecca Frank. What were ancient Greek dildos made of, Jesse? They were made of padded leather and, yep, anointed with olive oil. Yep. <laughs> scams. I'm Caitlin I'm Bradnick. Smith. <laughs> and, and we, we love, love scams. scams. She tells them she's a German-Russian heiress, and she seems like she has a lot of money, and people buy it. That's yeah. basically what's happening. So as soon as she got a loan, she would cash it as much as she could out before anybody caught on. It's amazing. So smart. I mean, so smart. I mean, it's terrible, but like to take that money out immediately. Because women are actually pretty versatile and funny. More Banana is a network of women's voices, unfiltered and uninterrupted. Find us everywhere you get your podcasts and learn about our growing roster of shows at morebanana.com. We're back. Hello. Hello, Callie. Hey. Now, as is our custom, I would like to ask you, what have you been watching? And when I say what you're watching, I want to know it all. Don't hold back. Well, um, I needed a little more teen drama. My teens are out lately, like my usual CWs. So the I teens found come this, out at night. Yeah. Speaking of teens come out at night, there's a show called Freakish on Hulu. It's old. It's like 20, 2016 to 2018. And it's a bunch of kids that are trapped in a school. They're all there on Saturday, like for school detention or they're playing sports or whatever. 
And then there's like a toxic explosion and everybody else outside of the school becomes zombies. Nice. And it's like a teen, cheesy teen drama with love and, and uh, friends and friend drama and teen pregnancies and zombies. Sounds perfect. Except, what's not to like? Uh, what's not to like is the guys are mad creepy. Like there's this main dude the main character dude, and he's in the detention, not because he's supposed to do, to be, but because he just showed up because his crush was in detention. Stalkerish. Very stalkerish. And then there's this other, like, super rich, annoying dude um, who was, like, a co-creator of an app. And then he, like, somehow screwed the other dude out of the app money. The other dude isn't in the, stuck in the school with him. But he keeps hitting on, like, this super popular girl who's dating, like, the main basketball player. And she shades the fuck out of him constantly. And he's just, like, so pompous and keeps... And the boyfriend is there, too. And he's like, bitch, I'm going to beat the shit out of you. Stop doing this. And then at one point, like, the girl's best friend that uh, she dies. And then dude, like, uses that as a way to, like, maneuver to hit on her. It was gross. That is gross. But it is portrayed as gross, at least. The detention one, is it's addressed as gross once, but at the beginning I was like, what is this? But at least they acknowledge how creepy it is. Are the girls on the level? Yeah, the girls are not having any of this bullshit. <laughs> then there's this, uh, somebody had posted this Facebook video of, of Bailey Sarian, Sarian S-A-R-I-A-N, and she does YouTube uh, makeup tutorials Why she tells true crime stories. Really? It's fascinating. It's so soothing to watch because she's like, you know, like kind of lighthearted, but also takes things serious when you're supposed to take them serious. And she's just doing her glamour ass makeup the whole time while she's telling the story. So she doesn't explain how to do the makeup. She's just talking about true crime while she's doing. Yeah. It's makeup. called like murder makeup Mondays, I think is what it's called. And she just does the makeup. So she has something to do with herself. while she's. And you said that's on YouTube. Yeah. Choice. It's so good. It's a Bailey S A R I A N. I, murder makeup monday it's amazing and then i was watching the show i watched the whole season good omens did you see it yet i haven't but i've heard good things it's on amazon it's like that's neil gaiman right yeah neil gaiman um and it's like an uptight angel and like a you know like a loose wild demon guy and the two have to team up to stop the apocalypse and um it's got what am i here. it's the voices of god is francis mcdormand of course and, as it should be and then what's his name who always has his like bulge hanging out of his pants john ham <laughs> john, john john ham from from Mad Men. yeah he is the archangel gabriel oh nice it's really funny it was funnier than i had expected going in except i had a little question about there's like a black character that has all these gold tattoos on the face and it's like a whole bunch of people and she's the only one with these weird face tattoos that are like obviously temporary face tattoos like that we would have at the craftacular <laughs> you know what i mean you know exactly what yeah I mean. like they should do better special effects if, if well, they're I angels did, it just did not make any sense 
and nobody else had them. I was like, what is this fuckery? But other than that, it was really good. And you binge watched it? Oh, binged the fuck out of it. Nice. And what have you been watching? I'm so glad you asked. I've been watching a, a couple, couple things. First and foremost, I broke down and bought a month of Disney Plus so I could watch Beyonce's Black is King. Oh, it's so good. I saw it. I oh, say I love how. it. <laughs> I actually plunked down my $7 or whatever by $7.99 to get a month of Disney Plus so I could watch Black is King. Oh my God, visually amazing. For those who have not seen it yet, it is the visual companion to her album, The Gift, which itself was a companion to the new live action Lion King. So her album was a companion to the movie and now Black is King is a companion to the album. And it's it's sort of very loosely follows the trajectory of Lion King, but it really is just like this long, beautiful, sumptuous meditation on blackness being being royal. Yeah, the royalty it, of black and she culture, used all black history, um, black designers, and um, all of them are like indie black costume workers or, and jewelry makers and shit. The costumes were amazing. Epic. Parts of it looked like very sort of timeless and ancient. Other parts are were like super Afrofuturism. Um, Blue Ivy did the most to say the least she was in it multiple times um she's gonna take over the world like blue ivy's gonna be our overlord sooner rather than later um and and the little babies ruby and sir were in it briefly it was it was just visually mine yeah the the music I didn't love as much as the exactly. music and lemonade. I like but... Skin Girl. I know that's not a song for me, but I think that was like the catchiest one of uh-huh. the, you know, that's like, could be a radio bop. The others I think are more like. Movie soundtrack. Yeah. And, and need the visual companion. Yeah. Right. Like there's not. And I also love the um, Black Parade song. I think that song is great too. Um, but the together with the visuals it was really something very special and my favorite part was um the part that was just like the over the top opulent luxury one with like the big mansion and like the leopard print oh god (laughs) and also that leopard print car that's what i'm saying the leopard print car like i now will not rest so one day i have a leopard print car and i can't even drive Uh, hopefully by the time you get to the level where you have a leopard print car you have a driver (laughs) <laughs> yeah i find that people are giving it criticism of course but nothing can happen why okay. what are they saying oh they're saying that uh she's making it seem like every every person from africa was a queen or king and that everybody has royalty in their blood which isn't true and i'm like okay whatever you know what white people have said about white people all the time? Like, like there's nothing wrong like, with white people highlight rich white people all the damn time and there are plenty of poor ass white people throughout history like yeah like there nobody's gonna watch black is king and like suddenly labor under the misconception that there are no black poor black people in the world right like, was, it's just an amazing depiction of of 
black royalty that you rarely ever see. Yeah, I, I was like, of course, they're going to come out with some crazy way to critique. She's such an amazing visual artist. I know that it's a collaborative process and it doesn't all just spring fully formed from her brain. But I think that. But she picked she the right is, people. She is as important as a visual artist as she is as a recording artist. I, I agree 110. Mm, loved it. I also um, am still on my food show streak. And the new one that I've been watching is on Netflix. It's called Crazy Delicious. Um, oh, and- I think I've seen some episodes of that. Who's the <laughs> host of that? The host is a British comedian named Jade Adams. And I stand her now. I'd never heard of her before, but um, I think I think she I is a plus size princess like me. And she wears this amazing, like, glittery blue prom dress, fairy godmother situation. My only gripe, really, Wait, with the show. she's doing a cookie show and she's wearing, like, a, a gorgeous prom dress? Yeah, she's the host. I love yeah. her. Yeah. And... And I just wish that they would give her more dresses because she has this one amazing glittery weird prom dress, but she wears it in every episode. And I'm oh, like, come on, son. Like, give her more clothes. Uh, I want to see her in all the fash. But anyway, so it's a British show um, that's on Netflix. And um, it's the set is so unbelievable. It's like they made, I don't know if the set is like an airplane hanger or what, but they made this huge edible forest paradise what with like cooking stations in it but like she'll tell the the competitors and there's three contestants and three judges and she'll tell them what the theme is for each timed cooking task and then she'll go say go forth and forage and then they'll like (laughs) run around and there'll be like a nook inside of a tree and then there'll be like beautiful cheeses inside or there like will be a mushroom and like spots on the mushroom i need to watch this what's it called on them it's called crazy delicious oh my god and they go forth and they forage and i actually wish that there was more on like how they make all the weird things in the forest because like sometimes like she'll well, just maybe like pick we need up to find the set designer yeah she'll like pick up a flower pot with a little flower in it and then she'll just like bite the flower pot and you'll see that it's you know like made out of cookie or whatever is this but like it, what started the thing that's everything what everything's cake? everything is cake i don't know if it but it's really cool looking very vi- visually and the i really like um there's three judges and one of them is a celebrity chef that i love very much named carla hall who's actually been in bust before uh-huh, um, i remember she's a southern chef um and then she's there with Heston blumenthal and niklas ekstedt and um and they're con- they call them the gods they're the food gods and they wear all white and they sit like up in the clouds oh my god that's for, amazing for the food and then the food has to be really super visually creative and imaginative like you can't just make a thing you have to like make it like nobody's ever made it before and so like a guy made a birthday cake out of lobster mac and cheese well, and, like, somebody else made, like, sausage eclairs. Like, they made, like, brioche as the hot dog buns, like, or, like, with the the pastry outside, but then they filled it with with sausage. Like, they're always making things that you think are surprising, but then it'll 
be something else. Like someone made burgers that were fried peanut butter ice cream as the patty. And then there was jelly on it. And then it was on like a dessert bun. And so it was like a beautiful dessert that looked like a hamburger. What? It's so fun. And the people make such cool things and they actually give them time. Like they'll be like this for this challenge, you have four hours so they can really oh, nice. like kick out the jams. Cause I really get frustrated in TV shows sometimes when like you can tell that like the person's really talented, but they're like make Thanksgiving dinner in half an hour. And it's like, come on. Like, I don't want to see your crappy toss together. <laughs> like I want to see what really ama- imaginative well, amazing really bust out. Yeah do in four hours and they obviously they chose all the contestants on Instagram because everyone has like these mm. incredible Instagrams. So I'm into it. I need anyway. It. So while I was getting so into the show and into Jade Adams and being like, why have I never seen Jade Adams before? I found this really funny um, short film that she made in 2016 called bloody Tracy. And it's this short about like, an obnoxious British girl who works at a supermarket and then dies in a terrible accident. And then people do like a Candyman thing where like people later on, like years later who work at the grocery store, like say bloody Tracy, oh like a God, bunch of times it. or whatever in like front of a mirror. Mary. Yeah. And then bloody Tracy comes back to the store as like a zombie ghost thing. And she haunts the, the, the grocery store and it's so funny because you know you always have like ghosts and like haunted houses and stuff you never think of like the ghost of the walmart (laughs) but that's basically what it was like and she was like you know like playing around with the customers and stuff it's really funny and it's on youtube so look up jade adams and bloody tracy on youtube and you'll get a spooky treat that sounds awesome the last thing that i've been watching is actually something i've been listening to which is a new podcast called Nice White Parents. I don't oh. know if you've heard of it. Well, I don't um, really know if I know them. <laughs> Hannah Jaffe Walt, who was one of the women behind Serial, oh. um, she um, she's paired up with the New York Times to put out this. It's like a limited series called Nice White Parents, and it's about the last sixty years um, in public schools and how white parents have somehow like intentionally or unintentionally um contributed to the imbalance in um how black and brown kids experience public school as opposed to how white kids experience public school like even when they're well-meaning even when they're trying to help that's kind of why it's called nice white parents like it's very helpful in the ongoing dialogue about uh trying to dismantle white supremacy just like in the very fabric of how our country works um it's very helpful to listen to that especially because someone like me i don't have children i've never really considered how public schools really work outside of being a student in them it's a goddamn Uh, shit show yeah judging by my friends that have uh kids in public school it's a batch it's like competitive you have to like shop before we just went to the closest school. Yeah. Right. But there's none of this. Yeah. There's a lot that goes into it and the show is really good. I highly recommend it. It's called nice white parents. Um, It's like cereal, but it's about public school. (laughs) And it's, they talk about how like uh, 
white parents, like wealthy white parents can afford to keep their kids at home. And then minorities and like poor people, like poor white people are going to be the ones that have to go to school. It They may get there at some point, because but right, right now it doesn't even involve the pandemic. Except like, all the white people in the middle of America that are voluntarily going to school because they don't believe in the pandemic. <laughs> they don't believe in it. And that's a whole other can of words. That's but, a whole other can. Yeah. Um, they talk about a lot of stuff that I'm very glad to know about. It's fascinating. Listen, I recommend it. And the last thing that I've been watching is the majestic pop tarts, Patreon page. It's in the world. It's great. And bottom line, we really need your help to keep bust alive. Um, we're doing the best that we can. We're still working from home. Um, but we need your help to keep this good thing going. And hopefully you'll be excited by all the awesome things that we've hooked up for our listeners over at, patreon.com slash pop tarts podcast. Callie and I have been whipping up show notes for every single episode, all 87 episodes that um, link to everything that everyone has been watching for every episode. So if you're in a rut, you're not sure what to watch. If you're a Patreon donor, you can go back and look at what everyone has been watching for every episode and get some great ideas. We also have totally ad-free episodes. There's exclusive content like the episode we have on there with Big Frida that you can only get if you're a donor. (laughs) And there's so much more. Check it out at patreon.com slash Podcast. And finally, thanks so much to our luscious producer and sound engineer, Logan Del Fuego. And our Girl Gang at Bust magazine. You can find me on Twitter at Emily Rems and on Instagram at Rems Emily, but you cannot find Callie, so don't even try. <laughs> you can email <laughs> Callie, are you haunting the people yeah, who are I'm trying a, to find you? Yeah, I'm a ghost in the in the Walmart. You're like bloody Callie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you can email both of us. I'm at EmilyRems at bus.com. Callie W at bus.com. And you can learn more about this show at bus.com slash Pop-Tarts. And finally, please rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts. Not for nothing, but the last time I checked, we had 199 reviews. Ooh, pop it Like, up. could you just help us roll that over? That would really be something, wouldn't it? All this time. Like... Break on through to the at least a thousand of you guys are listening to every episode, often many more than that, but only 199 of you have rated so far. If you could just go on over to Apple Podcasts and give us a five star rating, we would be ever so appreciative and we'll have like a hooray 200 moment. (laughs) Uh, If you do it, we would super duper appreciate it. Until next time. Is there a chance, is there a chance that we actually all want the same thing? But because of egos and fear and anger, it's just so muddy that it doesn't look the same. We all want a soft place to relax. We all want a delicious sandwich. We all want someone to cuddle with in some way. But then things get muddy.